Our reading this week comes from the first chapter of Mark's Gospel. And Mark writes, The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him, were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of our Lord. It's weird, isn't it? I mean, not John and like eating locusts and stuff, but it's weird that Mark's Gospel just skips the shepherds, the angels, the cute little baby in a manger. Like, remember all that stuff? We'll get there next week. We'll do Luke, I promise. But Mark doesn't have time for that. Mark skips all of the things that we think of when we think of nativity and Christmas and Jesus being born. He skips decades ahead, and we have his cousin, Jesus' cousin John, out in the wilderness in this weird, bizarre little moment. And that is what Mark chooses to say, this is the good news of God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This, this moment. Not the tiny little baby in a manger, not all the beautiful little scenes that we have, no little drummer boy drumming away. All of the things that we associate with the story of Christmas, Mark does not have time for. And instead, what does he start with? This is not a trick question. John in the wilderness. Okay. Anybody go to La Salette or Edaville? Or Santa's Village? No one? This is a very, very ever in life. Ever been in any of these places? Um, heritage, right? Like there, and what do you find in all those places this time of year? And? Crowds. It is so crowded. We just went to Heritage this week, uh, last week, and we went on a Friday night in Heritage on a Friday night. First of all, we had to get our tickets back in October. And then there's a very efficient parking system because by the time you park and get out, you're like shuttled into the like massive people that moves towards the entrance. And then everybody's sort of paced out and timed because there's so many people wandering around that you have to wait like 42 minutes for an apple cider donut. Um, it's this the kind of thing where you're part of this moving mass of humanity enjoying this thing that's supposed to bring us to a calm, tranquil sense of peace, right? Um, last year we went, it was 15 degrees, it was beautiful and calm and tranquil, tranquil, and we couldn't feel our toes, so we didn't think about any of those things. Um, this year we came right after a rainstorm, and there were people that had been there a little before us, because that's when their time ticket was, and they were soaked. And we've all been to a place like La Salette, where there's just lots of lights and crowds, and it's free, and so people are everywhere. Um, but last year we were there, and all of the lights, we learned this, are on one switch that somebody hits at the end of the night to kick everybody out, because there's so many people that would just mill around. The crowds are just sort of out of control. I don't know what to do with them. 
I mean, this is the image that we have that starts Mark's gospel. We have John in the wilderness, and it's like a holiday weekend. <laughs> All of the people are trying to get out of the city. They're getting out of Jerusalem. They're coming out into the middle of nowhere to see this thing that John is doing. It's really quite bizarre, isn't it? We have this prophet. At least he's dressed like a prophet. He's wearing his sackcloth and his his belt uh, and all of the things that one would assume a prophet would wear. It's like a cue to all the people that something important is happening. I mean, this is just sort of the, the stage setting, the scene, and people know that God speaks through prophets, and well, we got nothing else to do this weekend, right? Um, let's grab the family, let's get in the minivan, let's head out to the Judean desert, and let's see what John the Baptist is up to. And it says that there are these crowds forming, gathering around. I mean, I picture this time of year, all those places we go where there's just a mass of humanity filling our weekends because we need to go do stuff. But what is the thing? What is the stuff that attracts all the people out into the wilderness? Anyone want to quote them or should I? Yeah, no one? Proclaiming a baptism of a repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is the draw. It's not the Christmas lights. It's not some grand promise of like a free microwave if you show up and you're the first thousand people. You don't get a free chicken sandwich if you're there for opening day. I mean, it is really, truly bizarre. John is out dressed as a prophet in the middle of the wilderness somewhere. Presumably, we go to get away from everybody else. And the masses are coming out on their holiday weekend, coming out to see what is going on, to see what this guy is talking about, to hear about this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Doesn't that sound like something you want to go and hear about? Don't we just want to go and have somebody tell us all about our sins, how we need to repent? Repent such a happy word, isn't it? It's actually a little distant, I think, for us now because we have experienced, especially Christians, using those particular words to beat people over the head with. You need to repent. <laughs> you need to be baptized. You need to be saved. You need to experience these things in the way I've experienced them or well, bad things are going to happen. I mean, we've all, at least some time in our life, heard someone, seen someone up on the soapbox on the street corner, wherever that might be, downtown crossing in Salem, yelling out these same words. Repent turn, believe. That's not that kind of thing that you pack the family up to go and see. So maybe with our distance and I'm going to say our street preachers with their bad and judgmental theology, we have sort of missed the invitation that John is inviting people to, the attraction, the reason why all these crowds are forming. I mean, this is not a trick question. Why do you go to Santa's Village or Heritage Gardens or Edaville or wherever else this time of year? <laughs> says the person without kids. Yeah, memories. It's light in a dark time. Everyone else is doing it, so what are we missing out on? I mean, there is something that attracts us to these crowds, these moments, these things. We just need to go see what we're missing. I mean, even with the past season right now, people still go to Gillette for some reason. We just like to be part of the crowd. We like to know what's going on. And the reality is, John attracts a crowd, I think partially because of what he's saying, and mostly because the crowd is already sort of attracted. And so people show up, and they want to hear what he has to say. And this is what he has to say. Uh, I baptize you so that you can repent of your sins. And people keep coming. 
They're excited to go. And we hear all those words now, and we think, Ugh, repent, sin, baptism. I don't, maybe one of those is a little positive, and the rest I don't know what to make of because we have so many new experiences we have layered on. But this, this is good news. Mark says this is where it all starts. This baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. This is so attractive that it brings the masses and the crowds together, which makes me think that maybe we have just missed a little something. Maybe these words trigger in us something that causes us to tune out or shut down, and we don't actually dive into the story in a way that allows us to experience what is truly happening. So let's get rid of all of that. Has anybody ever called you a sinner? You don't have to raise your hands, but I've definitely, I'm a pastor. I had somebody approach me in a Chili's 2 in the Minneapolis airport while I was reading my Bible, and I didn't say the right response to whatever religious question they asked me, and they said, oh, you're not a believer, are you? Like, also, I was at a school committee meeting once, and they were talking about keeping Christ in Christmas, and I'm not wading into all the political things, but I do think that is a horrible job when people from all angles are lobbing all sorts of stuff at you. And I stood up, and I just said, my dad was on a school committee for 30 years. God bless you for listening to all of our agendas that we have brought to you today, and you're doing a great job. And somebody approached me after and said, oh, I just, I think you need to go to a church. No joke. All of these words are so laden and they're tied into all of our politics and our opinions and experiences and people have used them as loaded weapons to hurl at other people. John is inviting everyone to just air all the stuff that they have been carrying for too long, to put it out in the open and to dismantle, to diffuse all of those ticking time bombs in our life that cause us to wake up in the middle of the night, that cause us anxiety and stress. I mean, think just for a brief second of all that stuff that you have held on to for just a little too long and how that just tends to metastasize, to grow, to weigh on us. That's what John is inviting the people to do. That's what draws the crowds. John says, oh, yeah, I have plenty of sins. You have plenty of sins. We all have plenty of sins. This is the whole point, right? Creation is broken. There are so many things we do that harm our relationships with other people. That's not a surprise or a shock or necessarily even a negative thing. That's just a statement of fact. It's not trying to judge or, or lift up. It's just stating the obvious. We hurt each other all the time. We harm our relationship with God and all the things that we do and don't do. That's why we have to take a liturgical moment, this, this pause every time we gather to say, if we didn't do this, we would carry the weight of all of that stuff forever. We just need to collectively be honest with each other. We mess up. We have a lot of poor opinions. We have a lot of things that, that we are not proud of that we gather and carry along with us and then try to hide from God and one another in whatever way, unsuccessfully usually, to just keep increasing all of that weight and that burden. And what does John say? John says, oh, wade down into the water and let the current carry it all away. Say it out loud. Feel the power of being able to admit to other people, oh, I'm way too self-centered. I mean, honestly, that was true. This is a real-life confession. I spent a lot more time thinking about myself than other people. I just do. I don't know if that's like innate. Does everybody do that? Okay. I have all sorts of four-letter words that pop into my head when I'm driving. True story. I don't know why, 
Yesterday, I had a moment where I was really stressed out and just angry that someone was slowing me down just a little bit. And I said, I don't want to live this way. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then 30 seconds later, someone cut me off. And it was like right back in. And it feels so good to be able to gather together and say, yes, that is not who we want to be. That is not how we want to live. And yet we do it. And may we prepare the way for ourselves to get to a place, a day, where that is not the way that we are. But it takes work. It takes energy and effort. And and John says, this is where it all begins. In a little, like, brief sort of history lesson. So remember, God's people are in Egypt, and the Pharaoh says, you can go, and they go, and they wander around in the wilderness for 40 years, waiting for God to bring them to the promised land. They know that they have arrived in the promised land because they wade across the Jordan River, and there it is, the land of milk and honey, this promised place that they have been looking for for 40 years. So the Jordan River was the moment that God's people realized that God's promise was real. This wasn't just something we were going to chase for the rest of our lives or our kids' lives. No, this is an actual thing. This is the place we have finally found that reality. And John wanders out back to the Jordan River and calls all the people out of their comfort and their cities and all of the stuff that had grown up and and caused all sorts of anxiety as a community, anxiety with their relationship with God, all this stuff, this junk that had surrounded them since they had found the promised land. John calls him away from all of it, back to the Jordan River. It says, oh, our ancestors waded through this water and knew that God was here, that God's promises were real, that something good was about to happen. Come on in. Get wet. (laughs) Repent. Say it out loud. Admit to our partners and our friends and our community all the ways that we feel guilty or like we have fallen short or failed. There is great great power and saying out loud the thing that we think or feel and then just letting it go. There's great power in letting that current carry all of those sins, those things that just cling and, and, and hang on us and allow them to wash away. John isn't calling people to beat themselves up. John is calling people to recognize again that God has carried them to the promised land, that God is about to do something, that God has shown up, that this is real. And how great an invitation to the good news, the the gospel of what Jesus is about to do, to hear this beginning. Yeah, there's not a cute little baby in a manger and shepherds and angels. Instead, there is John saying, wade in and be reminded that God is about to do something, that we are arriving, that this is what has been promised, that all of the extra junk that we've accumulated on the road, I mean, imagine you get pretty dusty walking through the desert for 40 years. Feel what that feels like for all of that to be swept away in the current, to be forgiven, to be freed from all of our guilt, all of our regret, all of our uncertainty or confusion about what to believe or how to be or whether we made the right choice. Just let it all float away and experience what God is about to do. He starts all this by quoting Isaiah. um, And Isaiah is writing to people who have been taken from Jerusalem. They've been taken out of the promised land. Um, And he he has this vision of making a straight path, of leveling the mountains, of clearing the terrain from point A to point B so that people can get back once again to what God has promised them. 
And that's the image that John recalls again as people are coming out to, to confess their sins, to share all those things that cause them to feel broken, to feel anxious, to feel sad about all of the things that we could have done, regret about all of those moments in the past. I mean, all of that stuff, John centers back into this passage from Isaiah that says, oh, make straight the paths for God to come in to your life, to our world, so that we can, can make this process as efficient and smooth and easy as possible, because God is coming. Something is about to happen. We have arrived at the place that we are meant to be. I love the image because I think so often we are the ones that put a bunch of stuff in our path, that, that put a bunch of stuff in the way for God to get into this place in a way that we're able to recognize and see, experience in a tangible way. We put up all sorts of barriers. We think we have to know all the right stuff or, or come to church every single week. No one? That's, that's supposed to be funny. Um, we think that we are supposed to somehow never make a mistake um, that all of our relationships are going to be perfect. We have had people in this place say, well, I'll you know, come back to the community and, and be in worship again as soon as I get my life figured out. I got news for you. If your life isn't messed up, then you're not a human being. And if we are not a place to graciously allow everyone to just confess and say all of our brokenness in a safe place, to recognize that it's not about that, it's about the fact that God does something beautiful with it that we've arrived, that God's about to do something. If we're not that, then we've missed the point. I mean, may we see that, that the beginning of the good news is this gift of being able to say it out loud, to let it go, to, to hear these words, that it's not about us or our mistakes or faults or failures or uncertainty. It is about God bringing us to the precipice of the promised land, of getting us wet, of allowing the current of, of life to sweep away all the junk that has kept us from feeling worthy up until this point and to be renewed again so that we can make these straight paths for God to show up in a tangible way. I think uh, there's a lot of work that we personally do for ourselves with ourselves to allow God's presence into our life. We can straighten out those paths. That's fine. I'm not really into self-help, but obviously, like, we all know that we are good at putting up a lot of barriers, and it's good to slowly dismantle them. You know what I really think? I think that this crowd gathered by the side of the river with John is a witness to the fact that usually those paths for God to come into our lives in a tangible way are made straight by other people around us. Those mountains are leveled and cleared by all of the people that remind us that you're loved regardless of what you've done. Um, that you're perfect just the way you have been made, even if other people might say otherwise. That you are not the sum of your mistakes. You are a beautiful child of God. I think all of us are able to straighten out those paths to knock down those mountains for one another so that God is able to come in in a way that we can actually see and talk about. There is beautiful catharsis and allowing ourselves to be forgiven by God for all the crap that we can't let go of. It is a beautiful moment to be able to say out loud something that we have carried for a really long time, and have a bunch of other people around us say, oh yeah, I've been there. Same. Thank you for saying that, because I didn't really know if that was the kind of place or the kind of conversation that I could have in a community of people that I care about or feel like I should present myself in a certain way to. And John says, no, let it all out because this is what allows God to come in and be seen. I mean, God's presence then is in that moment of relief, 
in those sighs too deep for words where we recognize that it's not about us. <laughs> it's about the presence of God in the middle of all of the stuff swirling around us, reminding us that God is real, God is here, that something is about to happen. And may we help one another see it. Amen?